Well, good morning. I am Clara Moranville. My husband and I um, pastor this church, and we're glad that you're here. Hope you're having a good day. And we are going to get right into the work here. Now, when you think of the word evangelist, for some of you that is a positive term, because you might think of somebody like um, Billy Graham, who is an awesome, genuine, sincere uh, man of God who's still alive. And, you know, you think of him in the big stadiums talking about Jesus and thousands and thousands of people receiving Christ through his ministry. He, you know, has that slight southern accent. Well, maybe not too slight, but definitely a southern accent. And for some of you, the word evangelism is a real positive term. But for the majority of our society, an evangelist does not conjure up a positive term at all. There was um, a book titled The Day America Told the Truth by James Patterson. And in that, he surveyed um, survey, um, respondents and asked them, you know, how do you feel integrity and honesty fits with these different um, kinds of jobs and careers that people have? And the TV evangelists came out almost at the bottom. They were beneath lawyers, beneath politicians, and beneath used car salesmen. Now, if any of you are lawyers, politicians, or used car salesmen, I'm not trying to bash you. It's just that TV evangelists were lower than them on this survey. They took 73 occupations and rated their integrity with these folks. And the evangelist uh, became, um, only had two people or groups of people that were higher, the lower than them. Organized crime bosses and drug dealers. Even prostitutes were considered to be more integrous and honest than TV evangelists. So for most Americans, being an evangelist is not something we necessarily want to aspire to do. Now, you know, um, there is an evangelist, there's a lot of them, that are really a lot of fun. And I wanted to give us a good flavor of one guy named um, J. John. I've got a short little video of him, so let's, let's play that so you guys can enjoy him. It's always very difficult knowing how to explain what I do when people ask me. a little bit creative so I sat next to this lady on an aeroplane at Heathrow Airport and I said hello she said oh hello then she said what do you do and I said well I work for a global enterprise she said do you I said yes I do I said we've got outlets in nearly every country of the world We've got hospitals, hospices, homeless shelters, we do justice work, reconciliation work, we've got orphanages, we do marriage guidance counselling. I said basically we look after people from birth to death and we deal in the area of behavioural alteration. <laughs> she said, wow. She says, what's it called? I said, it's called the church. <laughs> Yeah, he, have you guys seen this guy before? You really should look him up. He's hysterical. He has jokes. And oh, I was just busting up laughing. It was really a good, 
good guy, and he's a, an evangelist that's really very popular all over the world and leads many people to Christ through cracking up. You know, just, he's funny. Anyway, for most of us, remember last week I said 97% of any normal church, not our church isn't really normal, uh, but 97% of most normal churches are folks who are not comfortable with sharing their faith. It, it, it frightens them. They don't know what to do. It's only this estimated 3%, in our case, 1.1 1. 1 and a half of you, <laughs> would feel comfortable just going out there and sharing your faith. And, and some of the reasons, you know, I talked about, we have bad memories. Like, you know, I mentioned the four folks on Bandera and Hebner that were shouting at the cars, telling them the gospel, to people that really weren't very interested in what they had to say. Or maybe you've tried it and you failed and you feel like a fake. You know, you feel like you're trying to sell something that nobody wants to buy. And I think one of the problems with some of our approaches to evangelism and outreach is that we fail to recognize a couple really important factors, you and me and God. And what ends up happening is we look at sharing our faith like trying to sell a 20-pound box of laundry soap, Right? And we forget that, no, I am sharing the most important thing in my life, the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced. And that somehow that gets mixed up in the whole process of evangelism. You know, it's not here is a canned formula, and this is how you start the relation, conversation, and this is how you close the deal. We're not trying to sell a car, right? Now, Colossians 4, verses 2 to 5, it says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the message of Christ, or the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Now, clearly God wants us to share our faith. Because he loves people. I mean, the best thing that can happen to your pre-believing friend or family member is for them to know God. Because he can bless us and love us. And when we remember that, it begins to give us again that inspiration of why we do what we do. But does God want us to lose our integrity in the process? You know, we're an empowered church. We're an empowered Christian. Does that mean, what does that look like? when we do evangelism? And these are some of the questions that I've been asking myself. So we've been going through the book of Colossians for a long time, and we're coming close to the end, if you can tell. And in this series, we've been saying the book of Colossians is a worldview book. And what it means is that God is the center by which we see everything. So clearly, if we're going to do evangelism, it has to be with God being the center of it, right? We're not going to rely on gimmicks and nice little tricks. We have to be dependent on the Holy Spirit to help us. Now, last week we looked at verses 2 and 5 in chapter 4, and today we're going to look at verse 6. And I want to just give us some practical ways to live a life of an evangelist without being an obnoxious jerk. Let's pray. In Jesus' name, I just take authority over negative memories of evangelism techniques, Lord, over the congregation. By things that were done to us, things that we did that we wish, oh, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Things that we said and we were just so oh, embarrassed. I didn't have the right response, Lord. I just bind shame and condemnation from having any part 
and today and what you want to do. And I release a teachable spirit. Father, I just release for there to be a welcoming of, Lord, how did we lose our way? Can we come back to that place where you are our passion and we yearn for you and we yearn for our loved ones to know you? Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. And change our hearts in your precious name. Amen. Okay, we're going to read Colossians chapter 4, verse 6 together as soon as it gets up on the screen. There it is. Okay, let's read that. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, seasoned with salt means we're not going to become jerks about it. Okay, I don't want to have a jerky church. Okay, that's not what I'm looking for. And, you know, whether we talk on the radio or we're on television or we're just having a personal conversation with people, we um, don't want to get caught up in having this superior, holier-than-thou kind of attitude. Because as soon as we start talking to people and they begin to feel judged or criticized or you're telling them what they're doing morally wrong, they're going to start getting defensive. And they're not going to be wanting to receive Jesus Christ into their hearts, right? And so we have to be careful to be thoughtful not to express that kind of tone over people because it will cause defensiveness. Now, one of the ways that I think we can ensure not doing that is to really respond to what folks are saying. What are they needing? Colossians 4, 6 said, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. A lot of our Christian witness is not me pushing through a conversation or you know, this pathway that I've got to push this person through. I have got to grow to be sensitive. Sensitive to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to them. We talked about this last week. Remember we talked about prayer and watch. Watch for opportunities that God gives you. Opportunities that happen with people that you love. It's a vertical conversation and a horizontal conversation. Often, this conversation is happening between me and God as I'm praying in tongues. Okay, now I'm not praying in tongues out loud so the person can hear me, but in my spirit, I'm praying with God because I want to hear, God, what are you seeing? I mean, you know a lot about this person. Is there anything you want to download to tell me? And I'm listening to the person this way, vertically. What are they saying? It's not that I've got to close the deal. It's like, what is he doing right now and what are they saying? So it's this kind of conversation happening because I need insight. A lot of our witnessing is just that, just responding to what's happening at this level and that level. And clearly, sometimes we have to respond intellectually, right? They're asking really good questions. I brought up a couple of them. But as a follower of Christ, we should have some basic ways to communicate to people intellectually. When they ask us the tough questions, what are we going to say? You know, the Bible was written a long time ago, and how can you be sure? Remember I said this this isn't a big, long telephone game, you know, and it's just gone on and on and on. By the time you read this book, it's nothing what the Apostle Paul said. You know, what are you going to say? Now, we should know there's something called textual criticism. And what that is, I mean, like, what? No, truly, you should know about textual criticism. And what it means is that we're looking at the original manuscripts and older manuscripts, and we're comparing them with what we have today. Okay? And so it's not like 2,000 years and we're just not paying attention to the original context or to the original manuscripts. 
And that gives us confidence in how we share to people, and we can tell them that. You know, another thing is um, a basic question might be, well, how can you prove with absolute certainty that Jesus is God, that he rose from the dead? I mean, how can you absolutely, with certainty, prove that to me? If you can, I will believe. Well, concerning absolute certainty, you know, I can't be absolutely certain about anything. I've been married for 32 years to the same man. And I cannot be absolutely certain that tomorrow Randy won't poison me. Right? Exactly. He's never tried it before. I know his character. I trust him after 32 years. I've been alive for 53 years. I cannot be absolutely certain that the sun's going to come up tomorrow. But it has for 53 years, right? So the whole concept of absolute certainty. I've known Christ for 35 years. And he's never failed me. He's trustworthy. Even the stuff I don't understand, the stuff I've just said, like, why? I can trust his love to carry me through it. Okay, so, you know, that whole concept of absolute certainty, you can talk to people this way because it makes sense. But, you know, to respond intellectually, we need training. And there's this one book that for those of you that like to read, raise your hand, like to read. Okay, and those of you that like to read and like to read hard stuff, raise your hand. Yeah, because we like, you know, sci-fi, whatever, sci-fi things, you know, okay. So this book, if you like to read and you like hard books, is called Intellectuals Don't Need God and Other Modern Myths by Alistair McGrath. Good book. And there's another couple of books that I've recommended before. They're by Lee Strobel. One is called The Case for Christ and The Case for Our Faith. Really good books. A lot easier to read. I sent a case for Christ to my brother-in-law who lives in California, who's an atheist. Now, he doesn't read. I know that. But my sister does. So my sister says, I don't think he's going to read this book. Oh, really? No. Uh, okay. Oh, well, I guess that was a waste. Well, she read it. And then she helped her husband understand that Jesus is not a myth. He was a real person. Now, they're both Christians today. I don't know what part that book was in the tr- link. But at the time, neither of them were followers of Christ. So there's some really good books out there for us. So start reading and training yourself so that when the opportunity comes up, you can give an intellectual response to questions that people ask. But besides that, you're like, oh my gosh, this is already intimidating. I've already checked out. You all have the ability to respond personally. Okay? You have an encounter with God. You have your own story. As simple as it may be, you have a story that you can share and give to other people. What has Christ done for you? You know, maybe you've been healed from something physical or mental damage. And you tell your story. The person says, wow, do you think that could happen to me? I mean, I don't know anything about the Bible. And I don't know who this Jesus is, but I've got problems. Do you think prayer would work for me? So share personally what God has done for you. Now, our church slogan is this. A relationship-based church connecting people with God, one another, and their community. The backbone of our church is our community groups, which is relationally based, to have a relationship with God, with one another, and with our community. Now, conservatively, 80% of y'all go to community group. 
They used to be like 97, but we've had some newer folks, and not everybody's made that decision or transition yet. So we're probably about 80%. And in our community groups, we emphasize four elements in order for you to grow spiritually and, feel, and know that you are growing in a balanced fashion. They are U-I-O-F. U stands for upward. And it's developing our ability to relate to God. Inward is developing our ability to relate to one another as a group. O is for outward, developing our ability to relate to those not yet with us, what I call pre-believers. And F is forward, developing our ability to grow as mature followers of Christ in leadership. These four elements are really important, and you'll find them in our community groups. If we park in any one of them, we're going to become imbalanced. In our relationship, as we relate to the church, as we relate to his cause, and as we relate to Christ. Now this morning and next week, I want to help you to be more empowered followers of Christ in the O, the outwardness. I want you to become more outwardly kinds of folks. But I want you to do it in a unique approach that is clearly your own, not some gimmick where you feel like you're a fake and you're forcing it. Because God has made you with personalities, with passions, abilities, skills, they're uniquely yours. Nobody else has them. And he wants you to function in your spiritual DNA. Now, mo- one of the most stunning things that happens when we discover that God has, wants you to be who you are. He doesn't want you to be somebody else or something else. He doesn't want you to be me. He doesn't want you to be Billy Graham or J. John. He wants you to be you and function in who you are through the power of God to evangelize. But most of us don't believe that. Romans 12, 6 to 8 says, wait, there's the DNA. There it is. We have different gifts according to the grace or the gift, the power, the gracelet that God gives us, given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy. If it's accordance with your faith, if it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I really don't think Paul meant this to be the end all to all the ways that we could be filled by God and used by him. I don't think this list was meant to say, okay, this is it. Only this box. Okay, I believe that he's saying there are other ways that you can be filled by God and be used by God. God has given us different passions and different interests. Now, what happens, most of us, uh, we would like to major on one approach. Okay? And simply just stop there and practice that. Or we look at a person and we say, well, gosh, I, I want to be more like Robert. Okay, and so I want to change everything that I am to be more like Robert. Well, there's a problem with that. I'm going to be perpetually dissatisfied if I continually compare myself to y'all, right? And never get to the place where, hey, God, you made me. You love me. You'd like to use me. I'm unique. I have gifts, and I need to use them for your glory. And I think we could all do a major advance in our Christian walk if we could get that one. That God wants to use you the way you are. Yeah, he wants to change you, but change you, not you to be like somebody else. And when we can get that, I think we can see some greater maturity and freedom in our life. 
Okay, now, I want to give an illustration. If you were going to college, there are some common core curriculum, right? Everybody has to take them. You're required to take these courses, right? And in evangelism, I think there's some basic core curriculum that we all have to take. Now, if we were going to major in any one particular topic, then we're going to have to take more courses about that major, right? And I think that's where we might get a little mixed up about evangelism. There are these core curriculum things that we all can use, even if we're in the 97 percentile of people that feel uncomfortable with sharing our faith. Okay, the first one that I want to go over is service. Okay, I think service is probably a common core curriculum. Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, one of my concerns as a pastor is how is the community perceiving us? When you go to work and they find out that you're a churchgoer, what kind of impression have you left with that coworker? Okay, you go to school and your classmate finds out you're affiliated with the vineyard. What kind of impression do they have about the vineyard church? Would they say at work, at school, in the neighborhood, she, he is a servant. I mean, just come along and serve. Now, how we offer to serve is unique. Okay, if I'm painting my house and you don't know how to paint, I don't want your help. Right? But if you can make a really good lemonade, I wouldn't mind you coming over and handing me a glass of lemonade. So you have to figure out what's uniquely you, uniquely your giftings, and use them. You know, and it's just not random. Acts 9, verses 33 to 39, it said, In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. I like Tabitha better. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, Please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows stood, I'm sorry, all the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, Talitha was known for her loving acts of service. She used her gifts, sewing design right now the rest of the story sheet's really cool if you haven't read it you should read it and it's really happy ending but what are your gifts what are your talents and what are your hobbies okay what is it that you're into are you into getting in shape are you into triathlons this morning at 609 i am in my car driving to a triathlon to see our four-year-old granddaughter do her first. Okay. The category was five and six, and she was four. She's truly going to be five real soon. And there she is with her little warm-up thing, and she is into this thing. Okay, so are you into triathlons? Are you into spending your Saturdays on the yard? Does that ring your bell? What are your hobbies? Do you like, are you a bookworm? Do you bake? Do you like to bowl? Do you love to sing in choirs? 
What do you love to do? This kind of evangelism is not boring. When you discover that God wants to use you and your gifts and passions and go in that community where there's other people like you and be. Now, I know for some people it is very natural and very easy to serve, right? Because if you take DISC, your S comes really strong. Okay, you take Meyer Briggs, you're an ISFJ, right? And you can say, well, yeah, clearly it's going to be easy for them to do that. That's their personality. They're bent. But I don't see anything in Scripture where Jesus says, well, according to your personality, serve. Right? It's part of our core curriculum to be servants. Now, continuing in the analogy of the college common core curriculum, okay? Besides service, I think another big one that we can all do to some measure is hospitality, opening up our home for others. In Romans 12:13, Paul says this, Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. Who are the people who are in need in your life? 1 Peter 4:9. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, the word hospitality is a compound word. That means two words put together. Okay? Philo means love. Zeno means stranger. So literally means love the stranger. So probably somebody different than you. Luke 14, verses 12 to 14, I think is a radical call to hospitality by Jesus. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. Meaning, don't be so exclusive. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you would be repaid. Okay, so now we're being hospitable to people who can pay us back. Our French missionaries told told me, the worst thing to happen in France is when you get invited to somebody's house for dinner. I said, why? It's because you are expected culturally to invite them to your house and you have to do bigger and better than what they did for you. I'm like, whoa. So that's a damper on hospitality. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. God wants followers of Christ to open up to the poor. Invite them to the table. I went to visit my my brother-in-law, and it was the sweetest thing. He had to open every single cupboard in his trailer to show me, this is where I keep my cans, and this is where I keep my dishes. And he was giving me a spirit of hospitality. Right? What's the square footage of the place? the size of my bathroom, my house, right? But he wanted to share what he had with me. And right outside of his trailer, this is my only request to him, was there's only one chair. Well, I don't have a lot of people over. I said, well, you need to get it out, okay? Because it only takes a shared soda pop. Let's sit and chat, right? Two cups. He's got two cups. You have two cups? Yes, okay, he has two cups, You know, there's a gal named Karen Maines who wrote a book about 20, 30 years ago called Open Heart, Open Home. And she did a great job of explaining the difference between entertainment and hospitality. Entertainment is about impressing you with my house, my housekeeping, my gourmet cooking. 
and my beautiful decoration. And hospitality is about, this is God's house. And me sharing with you. And making people a priority and not things. I think we can all practice that in some way. Edith Schaefer, she's a co-founder of a Swiss movement called Labrie. Ever heard of that? Frances Schaefer is her famous husband. And this is what she said in one of her books. Quote, For some young people, our Labrie homes were the first really happy homes they have ever experienced. You can imagine what the opportunity of eating, doing dishes, helping peel potatoes, being part of a conversation, and family prayer in the variety of homes that might amount that any amount of lecturing or talking about home life or counseling could never do. You know, we have broken people in our lives, right? Many of you walked in here as the broken, wounded people. And it's in opening our homes and caring for one another that healing can come. How else are we going to get over our father issues, our mother issues, our sibling issues, you know? What other way are we going to get over the damage that was done to us by our family of origin? to be cared and experienced family. And I think that hospitality is not just restricted to your home. We need to practice a spirit of hospitality here at the church when guests come. Has this gentleman been greeted? Has this lady here been greeted? Are you taking the time to know something about them? There's a spirit of hospitality that we can extend to our guests. Now, the word evangelism or evangelize is actually a word that means to speak, to announce message of gladness, to proclaim good news. The Romans used this whenever an emperor was born. They would evangelize. See, you take it in the real context like, oh, they would, let, they would send heralds and evangelize the emperors had a son. And they, back then, those folks were considered divine. And when that son grew to the point where he was able to make laws, well, then the laws were announced. They were evangelized and told to the people. Whenever he did a good deed, they were evangelized. When his birthday came, they were evangelized. Okay, so then the, the gospel writers said, good word, new meaning. The real divine ruler has been born. To good news. He heals the sick. He comforts the mourning. Good news. He's rose from the dead. See, when you take it in the culture, you realize, oh, it means to announce. It means to talk. It needs to share. And if we think that just being a servant and just doing hospitality is evangelism, we've missed a bit of the dynamic that we need which is to speak. And if there was going to be a third core curriculum, I would say would be use your mouth. Mark 16:15 says, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." Now St. Francis of Sissy said this quote, "Preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words." And people have used that quote as an excuse to not open their mouth. And uh, J. John, the evangelist, the one I told you I like, has this quote. Most Christians are like Arctic rivers. They are frozen at the mouth. (laughs) 
St. Francis of Sissi never intended for us to use that proverb as an excuse to never open our mouth. What he said was, make your life line up to your words. That was what he was trying to encourage folks to do. But the fact is, that us simply being hospitable, simply being servants, are not going to make people say, wow, you have served me so well that now I want to ask Jesus into my life. I want to make him the, the leader of my life. That's not going to happen. Your hospitality is not so perfect that people are going to make the connection with why you're doing what you're doing and who it's connected to. We must open our mouth. Now, for, for the 3%, this message sounds simplistic, easy, boring. What's so hard about sharing your faith? I mean, I don't get it. But for the 97% of us, it's a struggle. I know because I'm not in the 3%. Did you know that? It is a struggle for me. And the only way I've gotten off of the 3% to maybe the 7%, is because I've been in prayer and watching. And you can't know God and not know that he loves people. When people say, well, I'm going deep with God, I know they're going to find out how he's broken for the lost. I want more of God than I know they are going to be messed up because they're going to see his heart for what it is. Yes, he wants intimacy with you, but he wants intimacy with pre-believers. He didn't just die for you, although that's a wonderful thing to know. He has died for the world. Okay, so now, back in the 70s, there was a guy who wrote, Billy Bright, you guys know him? Okay, in the 70s, he wrote, Bill Bright, they call him Bill Bright, wrote the four spiritual laws. Well, this was a track is through uh, Campus Crusade. Campus, yeah. Yeah. And there's a couple, uh, Bill and Jeanette Boyle, who we, our church supports that works with Campus Crusade. Okay, but back in the 70s, I went on my first mission trip. I was 19 years old, and I went to Mexicali, Mexico. And I went with a group from my college, Westbound College, and we joined up with Azusa Pacific, and we went to Mexicali. And all week long, we were using the four spiritual laws. And we saw a movement of God in that village that was awesome. The majority of the folks there were ready to become followers of Christ and start their journey with Christ. Well, the, we lived in, uh, at night we slept in this campground where there were outhouses, no showers. So by the end of the week, we were smelling pretty bad. And so it was the last day, and we went to the showers. There were public showers in Mexicali to take showers before we had to be stuck in the car and drive all the way back to Santa Barbara, California. And so while we were there, the owner of the shower place was kind of a creepy-looking person. And, you know, to go into the showers, you notice there's like peepholes in the shower stalls. So it's kind of like you feel a little creepy, right? But anyway, I'm showering, I'm having a good time, and then I come out, and there's the guy, the creepy guy, and I feel this connection, share with him the four spiritual laws. She <laughs> willikers. So I did. I want to share with you the four points of the four spiritual laws. Point one, God loves you 
and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Now, of course, this was in Spanish, and I could speak Spanish, so I was saying it to him in Spanish. Let's get back. Let's, let's wait because I want you to see that. Oh, look at that. We're getting there. Point one. Is that there? No four spiritual laws? It'd be after this. Okay. All right. Let's hang there then. Okay, so God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Then point two is man is sinful and separated from God. Okay. Point three, Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's life, and through him you can know and experience God's love. Point four, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Okay, so I'm reading step one. God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Step two. Man is sinful and separated from God. I was not making eye contact at this point. Okay, because I thought if anybody knows he's a creep, it's this guy. But I was hearing something. And I looked up, and the guy was crying. And I went, oh, my gosh. God's here. And about that time, the other team members coming out of the shower and they saw what was happening because we've been using this track all week long. They knew very well what I was doing. And they began to pray quietly for me and for this guy. And that day, I got a new brother that I'm going to see again. I haven't seen him since because I haven't been back to Mexicali. I don't know how I could even find him. I don't remember his name. But I think he's going to remember me. And I think when I see him, I'm going to remember him. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And we can depend on God to be kind. Do we believe God is kind? We do. And it's his kindness that led you to repent, that led you to give your life to him. And it's his kindness that we can count on being there when we share with our friends and our family. And like I said, I'm not a three percenter. I'm not. But I'm praying for those in our church that don't know him yet. I'm praying for the youth that we see on Tuesday nights that don't know him yet. And God is willing to let me be used because I'm watching and I'm praying I want you to do that. I want you to watch and I want you to pray. I want you, if you pray in tongues, to use that gift and connect with God and see what's going so you can know what to say to people. My personal story Your personal story is different. I've said mine probably, I'm guessing, a hundred times in my life. Okay? I'm six years track of being invited to Christian stuff. And finally, my senior year in high school, I have everything I think I need to succeed and be happy. I've attained everything that a teenager at that time can imagine as being, this will make me happy. And I was empty. And God came to me and showed me, yes, you nice, sweet little 18-year-old Clara are a sinner and you need me. It doesn't have to be dramatic, your story, but you have a story. It's coming. 
And so let's start there. Let's start with your personal story. Get the training you need. Figure out how you can serve from your own gifting. Figure out how you can be hospitable. You know, we have regularly folks come in here from, like, maybe you know somebody who's an international co-worker. Okay? Be hospitable. Serve them. Maybe you see college students come in here that are displaced, live from another state. You know, this state, I think the second, the first thing that uh, we make most money is tourism. And the second one is our military. And so we're constantly having families come here that we just arrived military folks. Be hospitable with them. Open your home. And if you're ashamed of your home, then go to a restaurant, go to a park. But open your heart to folks. Okay? That's it. Now, um, I'm going to see what God wants to do. Because I think there's some fun things he wants to do this morning. Let's pray. Lord, would you show me how I'm to evangelize? Would you show me who I am and what my part is in your beautiful dance? Would you start with my heart? Lord, would we have the heart of Jesus? Lord, you only had 33 years here on earth. And three of them were pretty amazing. And Lord, he was motivated by one thing, loving you and loving others. And Lord, that's what we want to be about. And so, Lord, you know, we've made promises in the past. I'm just going to be more bold. And I'm going to say it this time. I'm going to stop for that guy in the market. And, Lord, we just need your help. We need your Holy Spirit to move in us and make us the good news. And so... You know, if that's your prayer, if you want God to use you, to him to show you how you fit, then just stand and acknowledge the Holy Spirit, that's me. I'm one of those people. In Jesus' name, I give you eyes to see what God is doing I give you his heart of compassion. I give you opportunities and for you to find that you're partnering with the Holy Spirit to take those opportunities in your life. I just give it to you. In Jesus' name, I release his evangelism, his good news in you to come forth and through you. May you discover the joy of being about the Father's business. May it wake you up saying, another opportunity, Lord, for you and I to work together. 
In Jesus' name, come, Father. Now, Father, I'm just going to be stand here, and I think the Lord wants to just maybe show you some things personally. So just just wait. Just wait for him and let him talk to you about anything he wants to show you. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, um, I may have mentioned about how I use tongues um, in conversing with God when I'm talking to folks. And here at the vineyard, speaking in tongues is optional. Okay? It's, It's not mandatory for membership. It's not mandatory for you to be a Christian is available, okay? It would be like you going to this Red McCombs and buying a car and saying, and then telling you, okay, you can have power, electricity, and lights, and windows, and power brakes, and power this, and power that, and you say, no, I just want to manually put the thing up and down. I don't need any of that. I just want to, well, we don't want to make cars like that. Well, that's what I want. I want that kind. You know, I want this kind. And it's an option, but I'm telling you that when we function in that, there is a power, a grace that comes. I mean, I know a lot of awesome Christian men and women that do not pray in tongues and they are powerful in the Lord. I don't know how they do it. But I know that for me, connecting to the Holy Spirit in that manner has allowed me to jump out of the 3%, <laughs> the non-evangelists, into doing things like leading this creepy bath owner to Christ. Okay? So I've asked Janice to come and share something this morning. There's a microphone right over there. Janice told me she's not a speaker. That's why she's not going to use the podium. She also mentioned to me, before you say anything, she said to me, but I say words wrong. I said, I am the pastor of wrong words. (laughs) And she goes, okay, I'll do it. (laughs) I thought that was cute. So go ahead. Okay, I'm going to wing through this. Um, Last week after the sermon, Clara had everybody stand up for prayer. And I stood here, and, and everybody got a partner but me. And Clara looked over and said, I'll pray for you. And I said, okay. So then she prayed, and she prayed in tongues in English. And then after the prayer, I um, had left and walked off, and I told God, that was beautiful. You know? And so then we had our class of the basic, Vineyard Basics, and then afterwards everybody left, and Claire and I engaged in a conversation. And then all of a sudden I grabbed her and I said, I want tongues. So she said, okay. And so we went over and prayed, and nothing happened. And uh, she goes, Janice, it's right there. You just, you know, practice it or something. You know, just try to say some syllables or something. So we left. 
And I drove off, and I got up to the light. And all of a sudden, it's doing my knitting. You know, okay, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> and I'm driving down Bandera Road, and I go, okay, God, thank you. I got the gift of tongues. So Clara had asked me to share it with you, and I've been excited all week. I've been talking to God all week in tongues. It's been um, a pleasure, you know, and I feel like I've gotten closer to him. So I just want to encourage all of y'all, if you have a gift that you feel like God's tapping on your heart, to uh, bring forth, to be prayed for, and if you ask, you will get it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, so um, I'm not gonna if if that's where you're at, like you would like that, then I'm just gonna ask you to just come over here, and a group of us that can pray in tongues will very gently and lovingly help you through that. Okay, because this is part of your inheritance, being part of the vineyard. This is one of the things you can have. It's nice. Okay, the service is ended, and um, Randy, if you could just wait about 10 minutes before you start recruiting people to take tables and chairs and those stuff, that would be very helpful. I don't want someone to just get busy and not do this. this. And if nobody comes up here, then yeah, go for it. All right? So service is over. If you would like to pray receive tongues, then let's come over here, and the rest of y'all just kind of mingle, drink coffee, eat cookies, and... And then you can help with the moving stuff. Okay, God bless.